Welcome to the Ag Emerge podcast, brought to you by Ag Solutions Network. Your farming challenges are unique, so your practices should be too. We're here to share emerging ideas, build connections, and provoke conversation. Get ready to improve your soil, your crops, your livestock, and your family's livelihood. I'm your producer, Kim Chase. And I'm your host, Monty Bottens. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us. Today we welcome Donega Markigard, a wildlife tracker, regenerative rancher, speaker, and author. Donega and Monty have a wonderful conversation discussing the methods Donega and her family are using to graze their animals, how they observe and interact with nature to lead towards a more biodiverse and balanced ecosystem, and they're seeing incredible results. Along with her husband and four children, Donega owns and operates Marky Guard Family Grass-Fed, raising grass-fed beef, lamb, pastured pork, and chicken, supplying the Bay Area with local, nutrient-dense food. The family ranch leases land throughout the Bay Area, spanning over 11,000 acres. It's such a great conversation, so let's jump right in. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of the Aggie Merge podcast. I'm blessed to be joined by Donica Markegaard. Welcome. How are you doing this morning? Great. Great to be on. Well, uh, Donica is located in California, and she's a couple hours uh, uh, behind us, so uh, it's a little bit early for her, and nah, she's already been out and checked the herds. So how's things, how's things going out there right now? Oh, gosh. We're having a great season. We've already gotten a couple inches of rain for... Uh, which for Northern California this time of year is 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 pretty good, and uh, so yeah, everybody's uh, doing good and healthy, and it's yeah, it's it's just beautiful. The grass is green, so no no complaints over here. Yeah, we're we're recording this right at the end of November, first of December, so that uh, it is odd to have rain this early in in California and and do a lot of work with seasonal grasses there, so. Had a big had a big grazing season this last year, right? Because of all the rains, and and now it's starting early for this year. Um, yeah, it was not. great. It, it sort of finally um, ended this uh, historic drought that we've been having. So it was it was a big celebration for for all of us. So it seems like lately, though, things come in extremes. So we're kind of bracing ourselves for another another winter of uh, you know the thing that I. I because I've been ranching out here for close to 20 years. Uh, you know, my husband a lot longer because he grew up ranching in Northern California. And uh, I never remember these high winds that we've been having. And so that that's the one thing that um, I'm not quite uh, looking forward to is sort of like 100 mile an hour winds that just blows down all the trees on the fence lines and so yeah we had um we had some of those last year uh so so yeah we're just kind of ready trying to get ready and resilient for for anything that might come because we really don't can't can't predict anything <laughs> that's right well i've spoiled a little bit of your story by jumping right in so i'm, I'm gonna uh, take a break now and, and just have us tell your story donica how you got started in it's really neat how you got started in the grass-fed cattle business and and where that has brought you to and uh, talk about your your books and all the people who you've educated around the world and and kind of kind of why uh, you've been inspired to do what you do. 
Yeah. So uh, I grew up in a rural area in Western Washington um, and my family was more a homesteader and uh, we were surrounded by mostly timber um, and some farming. And uh, I, I just grew up with a love for the wilderness and the rivers and you know, exploring uh, on on horseback and until uh, you know, I had to I had to come home because it was too dark to see. So uh, I really had a you know idyllic childhood, which uh, you know, looking back, it's it's so rare that that kids have that freedom anymore. And so um, you know, it's just I always talk about with with my kids because they're teenagers now, just how different their generation and the next generation is uh, from me. And, and they see it too, because they were raised very much as feral children out on the ranch and uh, running around you know, barefoot or bareback. And uh, so, so I, when I got into school, um, like middle school was when was a big turning point for me. Um, I, I just felt like I was, I was boxed and I didn't, I didn't fit in, which I think is, is, is pretty common, um, for kids in, in a public school setting. And I wanted something more. So I, um, was a teenage runaway and I, uh, sort of saw kind of, I don't know, I guess what you might see, say the dark side, um, and, uh, what, sort of destruction was out there in the cities um, with people, you know, had some experiences um, as a, a teenage girl that, you know, I never would wish on anybody else. And uh, also just sort of, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't my Western Washington wilderness, <laughs> basically traveling around the country and seeing, um, you know, vast areas uh, being tilled and aerial sprayed and not not much habitat, not much wildlife. And so I ended up back in uh, my hometown and um, through, I, I, I would have to say synchronicity because uh, it was a, um, a Maori elder basically looked at me and it was at that time where I was really rebellious. And, you know, he looked me in the eye and said, Donaga, you are headed for danger if you continue your path. And what you really need is to connect with nature and to find yourself through that immersion in nature. And so that's what I did. I immersed in uh, a school called the Wilderness Awareness School, and I learned wildlife tracking. I learned wilderness survival. I learned the language of the birds, and uh, I loved it. I thrived in that setting, uh, and and so that's that's sort of what brought me to uh, a deeper vision and values of what can I do? What is my particular role, um, which is different from anyone else? Like we're all very unique creatures and we all have a role to play. And so that's what led me to um, learning about agriculture and learning about holistic management. 
And then again, through another synchronicity brought me down to California. And, um, you know, I, I, I talk about it in my book, but it was really the mountain lions that brought uh, my husband, Eric and I together. And uh, so we, you know, he, long story short, he was uh, managing ranches for musician Neil Young and uh, he caught one of my friends trespassing and started the the rest is history. Um, And so, so that's when we started uh, ranching together and he had already been leasing other ranches on his own. And uh, we took a deep dive into direct market grass-fed, and uh, that was in 2005, so when not many people were talking about grass-fed, and it was sort of like, you know, you either ate beef or you thought beef was the devil, basically, and there was no in-between. So we were kind of looking for that, you know, that in-between market of, hey, you know, you don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater kind of thing. Like you can, you can still eat meat and it can still be good for the planet and good for your health and uh, your family. So that's really, you know, we we started with a small group of moms It always starts with the moms (laughs) and um, from the Weston A. Price chapter. And they were the only ones who knew about grass-fed beef. And so they would buy a half a cow, a whole cow and, um, you know, we sort of built, built from there. Wow. So, um, talk to us a little bit about, you know, that, uh, overnight success now, 18 years later, right. <laughs> of the grass fed business. Um, are you, are you marketing everything yourself that you raise? We are. Um, and that's sort of one of the things that as we expand, cause now we're on, um, well, one of the ranches is seasonal, but you know, on the peak time of year, we're on about 15,000 acres of grassland spread out on, you know, mainly six um, different large, um, large ranches uh, in spread out on three different counties. <laughs> so, uh, so it's a lot, we have a great team, we have a great team, both on the livestock and and on the marketing end. So I definitely, um, you know, give them credit and lean on them because uh you know, I, with, with the drought and then the sort of harsh, you know, a harsh climate, uh, that we're seeing now, I, you know, I, I kind of got burnt out on it. I mean, after you're, you're doing it day in and day out, 18 years, it's, it's rough. So I found that for me and for my own (laughs) mental and physical and spiritual health that, um, I really needed to sort of, take a, take a little step back and let, let others really, um, move the business forward. So, you know, my husband and our main ranch hand, Sue are doing a lot. And, you know, I, I love going up to some of the most remote places where there's no cell reception. (laughs) So it's a little secret, you know, I have here that, you know, oh yeah, you you can't reach me. There's no, there's no cell reception. I'm just going to be out, you know, taking a walk and enjoying the, the sun set over the Pacific. So, um, so I still do a lot with the cattle, but, um, I've really stepped back from sort of the sales and, and marketing. Sure. Yeah. Sure. And, but on your family's operation, uh, if you're, if you're grazing 15,000 acres, you're, you're direct marketing more than 10 animals a year, aren't you? 
Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. a lot of work. Oh um, how, how many do you finish in a year's time? Yeah. I mean, you should see our freezers right now. <laughs> Not only our freezers, but you know, our butcher, like, you know, he's, they, they love us because, um, you know, we fill half of their, you know, big warehouse this time of year because we only harvest, um, from well it just depends on the season and we either started may or june and we go until about october you know we've played around with different things like harvesting more intensely um in the summer um but we've tried to and then we've tried to spread it out a little bit more and now we're sort of on like this six month seven month um harvesting and and yeah i mean with everything it's it can be close to like you know finishing 300 but we're doing everything so we have all classes of cattle we don't buy in any stalkers we do you know we do sell some some live uh animals like heifer breeding heifers and and things like that but um but yeah, that's, you know, when you add, add all that up in the pounds and the, the boxes to forklift and lift, it's, it, it's, it's a lot of moving parts. Right. And, and for other people to understand your, your context a little more, we were, I alluded to it earlier, but you're on the coastal hills around the Bay area and uh, those grasses are all seasonal grasses. They're right. They're not, if I understand, they're not perennials. They're their annual grasses that reseed themselves, um, kind of. Broader. Um, we have, yeah, it's majority annual grasslands, but we do have perennials that oh, we do. really, Good. yeah, we do. We have uh, native bunch grasses on the coastal prairie, awesome. um, and that's one of the things that uh, I, I feel is our niche is that all of our ranches have that coastal influence. So um, we do get um, the coastal fog, the cooler summers, and we do have a pretty high percentage of perennials. Like one of the ranches has 13% um, of the native California oak grass. You know, that's just one, one of the perennials. And, and uh, we have the purple needle grass. And so there, there definitely are some, and there's uh, a lot of different, it's a, it's, it's the most biodiverse grassland type in all of North America. So there is a lot of different species out there. And that as long as we really are thoughtful and um, manage our grazing, then we are going to be able to cut down on our supplements and, and graze, graze year round. And the cattle are going to be getting something, something from the forage all year. And, you know, I'm, I'm was very humbled this last year with, you know, the weather that we were having with the cold, the cold and the wet, you know, wet is one thing, but when it's just cold, really cold and wet, um, that that's not usual for us. Um, and then, just trying to figure out like, Hey, you know, how, how, how many animals can this ranch really sustain and meet all the goals, um, of, you know, our own operation, our bottom line, and also all of the ranches that we lease, um, have conservation goals. So we're always sort of balancing those as well. And, uh, always learning, always learning from nature. So what's that like trying to explain to um, the general public, right? And, and I would imagine the landowners too have that same uh, cows are potentially evil uh, viewpoint. 
to understand that when we reintroduce grazing ruminants and manage them in a way that mimics nature, you're actually doing the best thing possible to restore the ecosystem to what would have been a, a pre, um, you know, Spanish settlement uh, type of environment. What is that process like as you're educating the, the people that you're interacting with uh, on that? Yeah, I mean, it over the last 18 years, it's looked very different. <laughs> um, and we're our home ranch is in Half Moon Bay. So we're right across the hill from Silicon Valley. And so that really adds a, a whole different dynamic. Um, uh, and especially recently, um, because there's been a big push for um, cellular agriculture. And really the marketing and the messaging of that is let's get rid of all livestock. And that's really coming up from, from the top of this, um, you know, from these, these founders of these companies that have, you know, that have a very strong voice. And so I think now there's more conversations about, hey, we don't necessarily need to just is all or nothing. We can we can figure out different solutions. You know, I certainly personally would never take a bite of something that was grown in a lab and, you know, has ingredients that I can't pronounce and uh, also is grown on a medium that is um, coming from an extractive industrial agriculture source that is, you know, I would say much, much, much more harmful um, in terms of carbon footprint than, than grass-fed cattle for sure. So, um, so I think that uh, it, it's really where it's gone is, um, and where I like to take the conversation is, is to science. Um, uh, my family and I were big believers of data and science and yeah, all scientists don't agree with each other, but you know, that's, that's what makes, that's what makes us all grow and makes us all learn is having these kinds of conversations. So, um, we have a pretty robust, um, partnership with, uh, uh, a science group called Point Blue Conservation Science. And um, they're a big group of researchers. They do the California Rangeland Monitoring Network. And um, they work closely with um, the, the Auto National Audubon, um, which is a, a pretty big nonprofit here in the U.S. for um, for for birds, and so we work with those two organizations, and uh, they do a lot of vegetation management, um, uh, collect data on birds, and then also soils. And I think mainly what piques people's interest now. It used to be that you know, we were looking at it in terms of human health more. And now we're looking at it in terms of planetary health and how can the, um, the way, the methods that we're using to graze our animals and to observe and interact with nature to lead towards a more uh, biodiverse and balanced ecosystem um, we're seeing incredible results with that. And the, and since we've been working with these researchers for 
you know, go, going on 10 years, we're seeing that over time our, um, our perennial native bunch grasses percentage is on the rise. Um, our bird populations are thriving, our grassland birds, where in other parts of the state, um, where there's more till agriculture, um, they're nearly non-existent. Uh, so there's threatened and endangered species that um, have homes on these cattle ranches. Um, there are uh, incredible amounts of um, uh, of wildflowers. I mean, it was just incredible this year. And there's um, carbon being sequestered in the soil at in large amounts. Um, one of the ranches uh, um, that that we lease, uh, the increase was 12% in a three-year period. We test every three years. So a 12% increase in, in soil organic matter uh, car, uh, soil carbon in, uh, that three year period. And that that's huge. And, and people really pay attention to that, especially as, you know, carbon credits are becoming monetized and there's a lot of conversation about that. And also people just, they, they see it and, and they're impacted by climate change. And so they're motivated to support solutions. Well, I think your use of the word cellular agriculture is very generous. Uh, here here in the middle of the United States, we call it lab meat. But anyway, mm -hmm. <laughs> you didn't say that, but I, I thought that was. Oh, no, that's yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um, I think it's um, for everyone listening. It, it's important to recognize that uh, Donaga is really at ground zero, like you said, just across the hills from uh, Silicon Valley and the Bay Area there um, of future trends, right? And there's a tremendous amount of capital investment that has gone into these uh, cellular agriculture type of startups. So um, they're here to stay. It's a matter of what, how much pen market penetration they'll get, right? Um, but I thought it was really interesting what you're saying is grass-fed beef. Uh, why do people pay more for grass-fed beef versus conventional beef, grain-fed beef? Um, it was mainly for human health. And now you're seeing that more and more emphasis on planetary health. So, you know, the trends start at the coasts, right? And they work their way to the middle. Uh, I think uh, we'll see that over the next five years. Um, and I think that's important for everybody to know and start to document what you're doing, right? I mean, people need to yeah. benchmark where they're at and whether they're working with, you know, the Point Blue Conservation, I assume that's somewhat of a localized or regional yeah. group mm -hmm. you need to partner up with somebody there and Audubon society's got it in most states except for of course Illinois where I'm trying to get Audubon certified but they're like oh we oh, don't great. have agronomists to do it for you yeah <laughs> cows aren't supposed to be on pasture here I guess so mm. anyway <laughs> um would you recommend people really need to take a dive and quantify where they're at and and start benchmarking these things whether they're in a agricultural uh setting or in a grazing setting it's just good to know where you're at so you can benchmark that for future use. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, uh, it's like if if you love something, then measure it. Somebody told me that yesterday. <laughs> um, and so I think that uh, we we do love 
what we do. We love our lifestyle. We love our animals. We love, um, you know, what, what we've brought, like the service that we've brought to our bioregion that people can have access to healthy, uh, protein right from um, right from their local region, uh, and th- and that's really important, and that's really the basis of of why we why we do what we do. And so, um, it, I see the only way for this to go on to the next generation is if we sort of you know bring everybody along with us. <laughs> so and and you know it's not us versus them kind of thing. It's like. I sit right at the table with the chief scientist of impossible foods, right? And and have a conversation and 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 share a meal. Um and I I I do a lot of work in tech. Uh I'm part of a a food lab with Google um with all of sort of global food leaders. Um and I've, you know, presented at Tesla and so I go right in there and have have one-on-one conversations because at the end of the day we we have more in common than um what we might first think. And um you know, I I feel like there's opportunities in every single sector to collaborate and there's so much interest right now um in regenerative agriculture i you know i kind of haven't even used that that term yet but you know some people you interview they they would probably would have used that term a hundred times by now but it's just sort of like you know it's it's the it's the newest term um and it's and and so and it's really taking a lot of hold and traction and um you know showing up on common brands um that you pick up at the store and so i i see that as a huge huge opportunity to talk about talk about what we do and also to um sort of uh cross over so that we're not all in our individual silos uh that we can uh and and that's partially why I sort of took a little step back from our ranch because I took a job with a tech company um, to oversee regenerative agriculture for their um, real estate department. So, you know, basically you see these successful CEOs, founders saying, hey, you know, I've I've already bought and sold plenty of companies and I can do it again. And this time I can use all of the profits for regeneration. So, um, you know, essentially that's what, that's what we're doing at, um, at this company called Gala, which is a, you know, blockchain entertainment company, nothing to do with agriculture, but we're, um, you know, we're working to promote bioregional food security and communities, um, uh, food sovereignty, basically, in communities, so that everyone can have access to healthy, wholesome food, uh, no matter who they are, no matter what their background or economic status. So um, that's really been a, a super fun project, um, and I think there's there's so many opportunities like that, and and it's becoming increasingly more rare for people who have had sort of that background that I talked about of, you know, connecting to the wilderness and knowing how to use your hands and use your bodies. And it's not as valued anymore economically. 
Um, I, maybe it never was, but uh, we can find other ways to value value those skills if we sort of cross over into other sectors. And I feel like that's that's really needed. And also those of us who have that sort of background and that ecological and agriculture knowledge can be highly valued. Um, and if if we just sort of are able to direct um, our uh, our knowledge and our energy um, in in um, in a good way. I find it interesting that um, agriculture today uh, parallels or is um, similar to uh, you uh, running away to the big city uh, yeah. and uh, you're you're uh, the role of the Maori elder trying to tell people we're going the wrong way and mm -hmm. uh, we need to change. Um, I think there's some parallels there. And um, so how do you see that uh, the impact that you're making now, you know, outside of your family's 15,000 acres? And I always thought this when I, when I'd leave the airport, I'm thinking, man, I'm doing everything as best I can on my farm. And you fly over your farm and you look at it and it's just a drop in the ocean compared to yeah. all of the land that's out there. Um, how is that impact that you started on your family's ranch now progressing? What do you, what do you see happening as you, as you take that message forward? Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest thing would be if it continues on to the next generation, Right. And um, we already have interest from some of our kids that, you know, they they want a ranch. And of course, I'm going to encourage them to go and travel and work on work for other people for a while, work on other ranches, go to Australia, Patagonia, wherever, and um, learn how other people do it. And then decide if you really do want to come back and have the passion to to take it on. And hopefully, hopefully they will. And hopefully, I mean, hopefully they'll do a heck of a lot better than than we did and, and learn from some of our mistakes. Uh, so I really see that as the this the, the time that we're in right now for our business is to say, hey, what, you know, is is this economically viable to hand on to the next generation? And for us, it's, you know, I mean, as as a mom and as a rancher and a speaker and an um, entrepreneur, I, I do a lot of hustling, right. <laughs> and um, just do, you know, I, I'm very, we're very diverse in the kind of services we offer. And so we found that, yeah, I mean, we, we want every enterprise to stand on its own. So the grass fed beef needs to pay for itself. And um but you know, because we're raising three kid, four kids in the Bay Area, one of our one of our, our daughters uh, on you know out of the house now, but we've still got three in the house, and um, it's it's really expensive, <laughs> and so we do farm to table dinners, um, corporate events. Uh, we work a lot with um, Natural Resource Conservation Service in the different programs. Um, because we, you know, the, the money that you make in agriculture um, isn't enough to reinvest in the type of infrastructure that you really need to uh, sort of um, seamlessly 
you know, uh, manage the, the ranches, like with cross fencing and water development and all of that, um, things are just really expensive uh, and they're not getting any cheaper, you know, to, to buy a truck, like, and things like that. So, um, we we're we're really creative in how we we ranch and that's sort of how we've we've gone about it and um i would encourage everyone uh right now who's in agriculture to engage with these other uh agencies and organizations and 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 collaborate um for your own success uh because that's that's what they're there for and we i just keep hearing like there is so much help and funding available for climate smart agriculture. It's like, oh, finally. <laughs> um, and so, so much that they're just like looking at ways that they can, um, you know, mainly the USDA is looking for, for partnerships of how they can really, um, really invest in these in these farms and ranches through through their different um, farm bill programs. Do you think part of the problem is the way that we we look at it as um, a cattle rancher would think, oh, I'm a I'm a cattle rancher or I'm a cotton farmer or I'm an mm -hmm. almond farmer. Uh, you know, I'm a tomato farmer. Uh, they think of themselves as the crop that they grow versus as I'm the steward of this property so how do i create the most value of this property and there's there's value in the food that i raise on this property but there's also value in the as you said planetary health aspects of what i create on this property whether it's ecosystem services for water quality air quality or habitat services for birds uh you know or other animals on the property and if I create that extra value, then I need to look at how do I connect that value to someone who is interested in it? So I have multiple revenue streams stacking on top of each other for this land that I'm stewarding, right? So you're no longer a cattle rancher, right? You're you're more of a looking at how do I, every enterprise has to exist on its own, like you said, but how do I create more value streams coming in for for the land that you steward? Is that... Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I would say you're you're first a cattle rancher, and that's the reason why you can stack these other income streams on top of it. Um, and if I had a dollar for every email and phone call I got for somebody trying to come out and just volunteer and learn, I was like, I, I, I just, I can't do it, right? I, I, that's something we, you know, we used to do that. We used to do workshops. We used to take on interns. It's like, you know, because of labor law and time consuming and liability and things like that. It's like, we just, we just can't do it, but there's an opportunity right there. If somebody was passionate about sharing skills, I mean, people just, they don't have these basic skills anymore. And I worked a lot with, um, indigenous people, uh, and one, uh, one El Lakota elder, Gilbert Walking Bowl, would always drive home like, you need this primary education of, you know, go out there and use your hands, learn to chop wood, build fence, and uh, actually have this, this basic learning. It's like, 
who has that anymore? Not, not many, you know, in California, especially not, not many people, you know, you go to other regions that are more, you know, ag, ag centric and, and you see it, but out here, you just, you just don't see it. And people want that. They, you know, they were deprived of that in their childhood, <laughs> you know, maybe their, their parents thought they were doing a good thing by keeping them protected and bubble wrapped. And, uh, and, and now they're finding that they, they missed out and now they want to go back in their twenties, thirties, forties, fifties, you know, I get them, get all ages and really learn how to, how to work with their hands and work with nature and animals and, um, just, just be out. I mean, there's nothing better than having your office outside with a beautiful view of cattle and, and nature and, forest and grassland. So, um, so yeah, there's all different kinds of opportunities, but, but the only reason why we can do that is because we have, you know, a successful agriculture operation and that is, that is running. So I would say start there first and then figure out what, what things you can, um, you can add to that. And, uh, it's going to look different. It, it's going to look different for everybody. Um, but, but for me, I've, you know, I, I love, I love education. I love sharing, sharing the message. So that's really the route that I have gone is, um, is, you know, getting certified to teach holistic management and, uh, and then work with these larger corporations to say, okay, you have a lot of influence in the world right now. So what are you going to do um, to use that for, for good? Um, and when you talk to a lot of these executives or CEOs or founders, they, they really, they really do care and they're really ready to um, do something um, of, and, and, and be useful and to utilize all the resources, um, that they have at their fingertips to, to, to help and to help the planet. I really appreciate the fact that you're helping point them in the right direction. You know, <laughs> they want to do something right. And, uh, yeah. so it, it's good to, to see that you're helping to coach them and, in, in things regenerative. So how do what do you think are some of the biggest hurdles that individuals have to overcome to start seeing their what they're doing and becoming more regenerative minded, if you will? Um, like you said, it's more of the term du jour, but, uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, being more holistic in thought process. What what are kind of some of those first steps for people who are considering, yes, I'm interested in soil health. I'm interested in doing what's best for the land next generations, but just you know, that kind of fear of change. Um, how have you helped people work through that? Yeah, I mean, it's scary. And, um, you know, I, if, if I were to like get into this in my fifties and think that I could, you know, somebody said change, then I think it would have been a lot more difficult than since, I, and then when I got into it, which was in my twenties. Right. So, um, and that's what we're looking at with agriculture now. I mean, I'm sure, you know, but the, what the average age of the farmer is, you know, you know, probably upper fifties right now. Um, so I, I think, I think when you get to be 
in, in that stage of your life, it's like, why, you know, why would you change? It's scary. Um, there's a lot of risk. And I think, you know, some, like we were in the film kiss the ground, which made a huge impact, um, for, um, this type of agriculture. And now another film came out called common ground, the sequel, which again is really making big waves. Um, and I've, you know, I've, uh, know the directors they're good friends and they're wonderful and um but one of the things I would say is that sometimes it's you know and and they need to give that message of hope and like we can all do it um but I I relate with with the farmer that just says you know I, I I'm kind of stuck in this in this box and it's not, it's not their fault. Like you never want to blame, blame a farmer um, because it's just, it's sort of the, the infrastructure and how things are set up around us that are really causing that re- restriction um, and that ability of, um, you know, no, no change. So, yeah, I think, I think change, change is scary and, I would say to people that are considering um, making big changes to their agriculture operation, just start slow, maybe take one plot and reach out, reach out for help, you know, reach out to your local extension service, reach out to NRCS. And, um, you know, there's, there's no reason why you should go at it alone. There you go. The Ag Emerge podcast is brought to you by Ag Solutions Network. The ASN team is hands-on, digging in and invested in regenerative agriculture. Along with the proper plant nutrition and biologicals to boost your soil microbiome, we provide the ideas and implementation guidance to support you on your soil health journey. So stop farming the same way and contact Ag Solutions Network today at asn.farm. So you did mention that, uh, you know, kiss the ground and common ground. And plus, I know you've been in other, you know, short videos and movies and those kind of things. So we have a ranching movie star here. Uh, and I also must say, you know, in the background, we always have those beautiful belt of Galloways. So, you know, they're, they're the co co-stars, right? So yeah, talk absolutely. to us what that's been like to, um, uh, be a part of that and, and the impact that, that you've been able to make through that. Yeah, um, it's, it's been amazing. I mean, I think, you know, we were, we were the first farm that uh, the directors of Kiss the Ground came and, and, and saw, and, you know, they wanted to really understand what it was like to be a family ranching. And so they, they came and they were going to stay one day and they ended up, you know, camping out on our front lawn and staying a week. <laughs> so I think that that experience was um, what was was really great to see. Like, oh wow, like what we're doing, you're you're actually really that interested in it. <laughs> I mean, you've got like these really expensive cameras and all these 
people and production is like, is it really that special? Um, so, so yeah, I think uh, that was, you know, it, it was an honor. I mean, it's always an honor to uh, be featured in something like that, whether it's just a short little clip that's used for, you know, marketing workwear or um, whether it's a more, you know, immersive documentary. And, uh, you know, because then it got on Netflix, um, it, there was so much uh, initial press with Kiss the Ground and outreach and opportunities. And so it really got me, I think, um, in front of people that I would never have had the opportunity to speak with. I mean, I spoke one-on-one -on -one with, at that time, Prince Charles, right? Now, you know, um, when when he was still the prince. And so it was really incredible. It's like, you know, I was looking up at my grandma and just thinking, oh, she'd be so proud of me, right? And so, so things like that. It's just, it's, it, you know, it's really an honor. And I, uh, I'm always, I, I just think people need to see more of that. They need to see more of pe healthy people outside doing things that um, are not only good for your, good for your health, good for your body, but raising kids with these values of being close to nature and working hard and learning, learning what it takes to produce food and all of the intricacies and everything that um that farmers and ranchers do to to to, to supply food cuz it's very undervalued and so documentaries like kiss the ground where they you know sort of the the farmer is the hero in the movie so i think um, we we need to see more of that uh, and and to really shift the narrative of of how much we really value farmers and food and farmland. And uh, it's I, I think everyone should watch it. And I think there needs to be a lot more documentaries about about what we're doing. Now, they did go a little overboard on the on the common ground video. The hero thing just made me think of it when you said hero. Having yeah. Abe on the front with a red cape. I was like, oh, come on, man. He, Gabe's a friend of mine. Okay. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got, I got a, I got a real, uh, real kick out of that. So yeah, yeah. No, it's, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's Hollywood marketing, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. So no, I, I think um, really that, that movie, but also a lot of Netflix documentaries have made some significant impact on really considering how we, how we do food. You know, some are, yeah. Some some are a little sensational, right? Or or a lot sensational and kind of, you know. But there's there's a lot of people telling the story, and if if we don't tell the story, someone else will. Correct? Yeah, absolutely. I I absolutely agree with that. Like, yeah, some of these documentaries, like one that we were featured in, um, was just just a bunch of lies, and you know, it's it's a shame that people actually um, still they just they just believe it it's like oh oh it's on netflix it's it must be true um so i would say yeah you gotta gotta do your homework and do your own research and and think for yourself and you must be an outstanding teacher because uh back to then prince charles now king charles uh he did implement uh if i recall i saw an article on i just passed over it briefly but implemented regenerative practices on all of the um uh, 
the king's land, if you will. Yeah. Uh, so you, you're a great teacher. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, um, you know, looking back and, and you've got a, another generation that you're training up now to, um, you know, keep moving forward and, and regenerating the land. What do you, what do you hope to see, uh, in the next uh, five to 10 years of, of how we are raising our food in harmony with, with nature? Yeah. Um, it's an interesting time, <laughs> right? I mean, the, you know, the economy is suffering, um, and I'm sure, you, you know, you, you know, you probably feel it, you know, people are really concerned about, um, how much things are actually costing. And so, uh, I think that bioregional food security is going to really be key going into the future. Um, and what, what can everyone do to be a part of that and uh how can how can we have more edge farms and urban farms and um promote and support small farms and so that it sort of takes the burden off very few people producing food for a lot of people. So in a sense, you know, I, I feel like we really need to decentralize the food system and how, how do we do that? I know in little pockets, we're working on that and, you know, you can go, um, and, and go to your local farmer's markets and basically get a full diet and, and, uh, right from a 50 mile radius. Right. But that's, very few and far between those those places and much of this country is still still a food desert desert and so i think that um in order to really really promote that decentralized regional food security um there needs to be more people in rural areas that are successful in um farming and ranching we need to um create avenues that there can be more success because if people are successful and they feel like they're what they're doing is really bringing in you know supporting their families supporting their basic needs then they're going to be more likely to take a risk right they're going to be more likely to make some changes and to improve um, if you're always just going month to month and trying to pay down farm debt it's like you can't expect somebody to 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 take a risk if they're in that situation. So I think um, having more more value on farmers, giving farmers, you know, I, I read something, you know, that it's the lowest in I think it's like a decade or maybe more of the percentage of the dollar that the farmer is getting. So I mean, it's really it's pennies on the dollar that actually makes it to the farmer. And it's just, how, how could that be? Right. And that's really why we started um, promoting this di direct market agriculture. And it's, it's not easy. <laughs> yeah. There is a lot of overhead and a lot of moving parts to um, because it, the, the, 
infrastructure is not set up for us to do that. Um, it's set up for us to raise the cattle and dump them at uh, the sale yard, right? And that and and collect a check, and then you can um, easily account for your expenses and your hay, and it's straightforward, right? And so as soon as you're sort of stepping out of what's what's easy and what's set up and what's right in front of you, then you're having to recreate all of these different um, models and you don't have the skills to do them, right? I mean, we never came to ranching with a background in business and marketing and accounting and sales and, you know, uh, um, distribution and all of the many, many things that's needed to run a successful direct market ranch. So, and, and honestly, that's probably good because had you known everything yeah. it would take, okay, same way I'm, I'm five, six years into direct marketing business. Okay. And had I known everything it was going to take, I probably would have probably would have second guessed it. I don't know. I, I agree. Yeah. Would you have done the same thing and be like, wow, yeah. this is a lot of work for ugh, not a lot of profit. Yeah. Yeah. If I actually knew how knew my way around a spreadsheet and projections and uh, financial planning and all of that, I've been like, hmm. Well, Maybe I, I should keep that <laughs> off farm job. Maybe I shouldn't just go all in. And I think it's just a problem of knowing what to put into that spreadsheet. You know, yeah. it, it's a matter of, um, it, there's just so many unknowns. And, and the current food system has everything so, you know, yeah. so cost effective. And, mm -hmm. you know, you just look at, for example, when you go to processing, right? The processing yeah. costs we have per animal is 10x of what the conventional industry has right yeah it's because they're they're processing so many animals they you know the the money they make is more on everything but the meat you know yeah so, um <laughs> and the small processor is only you know creating it to where we sell the meat right and and we don't yeah. get all the other secondary products so yeah had you known it's a good thing we didn't know right yeah, yeah, exactly. Never would have had, <laughs> had all true. this opportunity to be out in nature. Yeah, it's a good thing I just like dive in with with my heart and and just kind of like try to figure figure things out as as they go along. Uh, wasn't wasn't easy. There was a lot of really stressful times where I worked really really hard. I mean, just all through my twenties and thirties, and um, you know, I'm I'm 42 now, and and I think I decided when I turned 40, I was like, you know what? this might not be the greatest thing for my body to be, be, be doing this. And I need to seek, seek some more balance. Um, so, so yeah, I, I think that, uh, we all have, we all have those times of transitions and I don't, I don't regret anything. But um, you, you would not have traded what you did though. Right. I mean, absolutely. I mean, the thing is, is I worked, would have, you would have done it again. Yeah, I worked really, really long hours every day, but I wasn't away at some office working really long hours. I was at home with my kids, you know, toting them along with me. And uh, and so I think that experience right there was highly, highly valuable. Um, you know, I think one of my uncles who's, you know, really a very successful um, engineer for Boeing basically said, you know, 
my kids grew up not really knowing what I did. You know, I just went and worked in some office and your kids actually know what you do. They can, it's tangible. They see it. They, they eat it. (laughs) They, 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 you know, they drink the raw milk from, you know, when you go out in the morning and milk the cow and it's like for a little kid, it's, it's, it's totally tangible. It's like, oh yeah, I know what mom and dad do, you know, whereas opposed to like, oh, what does your dad do? I I don't know. (laughs) Like he's just gone all the time. Right. So, um, So yeah, that, that's really highly valuable. And you see more and more people wanting to provide that opportunities for kids. And I think COVID gave, gave people a really great opportunity to um, figure out what home is right. Home is not only where you live and where you sleep, but it's really your sanctuary and your place where you can, you can be creative and you can uh, connect with yourself and you can connect with your family and your loved ones and everything around you. And I just, it's just amazing the creativity I've seen um, since COVID of people doing like in- incredible, like artisan crafts and uh, farm goods and, and things like flavors and tastes and, you know, incredible um plant and tallow-based skincare products. It's like, wow, this stuff's amazing. And it's, uh, and they're, and they're being really successful at it. So I think um, the more we can connect with ourselves, um, with nature, uh, with uh, really our own creativity, then the happier that we're going to be, and it's really going to lift up our our whole community. So I would definitely encourage people do not hold back, <laughs> and uh, you know st- you can start small and then expand, but uh, follow follow that gut, follow that intuition and that and that creativity, and I think that's really going to um, propel us into the next five to ten years. You know, and honestly, I have no clue what's going to happen. Um, <laughs> I I don't have that power to see into the future, and I can only influence my little um, sphere. Uh, and I hope that my influence is like a ripple in the pond that, you know, that, that ring of influence goes, goes out to more and more people. And, uh, and so, you know, just doing what, what I can with this beautiful, precious life that, that I have to, um, to share and to experience with people and to, to work hard and to, you know, build soil and, uh, and, and really, really support, support the people that have been really, um, historically underserved and really deserve, deserve more, right? I work in, in very rural area in Costa Rica, um, down on the Osa Peninsula, and there's um, uh, incredible um, women-led food sovereignty effort in these really remote rural areas. Like some you can only get to by boat or crazy dirt roads that you know you're risking flash floods. And there's women there that have just incredible knowledge of plants and growing and 
medicine and like the it, it's it's incredible and and they've been undervalued and their family has gone off you know the the men in their family have gone off to work on the um plantations the banana plantations or the palm oil plantations in really dangerous conditions and their children have, you know, needed to all summer and every day after school work on the coffee plantations just to sort of survive. But um, these these rural areas are really close to my heart, and I feel like there's huge potential. And the time is right now because that land continues to be converted to these industrial. Um, plantations and uh it really it really breaks my heart because it's in in some of the most biodiverse beautiful places on the planet that that this is happening well uh like you said earlier there is hope though right with yeah. all of us uh, uh doing what we do best and realizing that we just have this uh one one precious life to make it happen yeah uh, i i really appreciate that encouragement that you gave everyone um well uh, what else should we have covered today? Our time just flew by. Uh, had a lot of fun. Uh, anything else I should have brought up or asked about while we were together? Um, gosh, I think we, we did cover quite a bit. I mean, I think that, uh, if anyone is in the California Bay area, we, we do, we do ranch days and, uh, we'd love to have you out to the ranch and engage and, visit us at the farmer's market. Um, I did write two books. So one is Dawn Again, Tracking the Wisdom of the Wild and really outlines my my journey um, to becoming a regenerative rancher. And um, the second book is is Wolf Girl, which is the young young adult version of, of Dawn Again. So, so really um, kind of goes into the, you know, adventure stories and uh, ways that you can also find those similarities to my stories, because so much of us have uh, similar experiences and feelings or um, things come alive in us at certain times in our lives. And so I wrote this book so that people could really relate relate to um to my journey and see themselves in in my journey as well so um yeah i would love for you to pick up those books they can be purchased anywhere books are sold and uh yeah we're going into the holidays now so a really good time to uh <laughs> yeah to not only read um but um yeah, really share, share this message with, with your family and your loved ones and, uh, dream, dream, do a lot of dreaming. <laughs> well, I, I certainly appreciate that suggestion and, um, we'll, we'll include the way to connect on, on those book titles and such in, in the podcast notes. Thank you so much. And thank you for all the work that you've done, uh, not only in the land that you steward and the family that you raise, but in your greater outreach to, you know, the poor areas, like you mentioned in Costa Rica to, you know, the wealthy individuals that want to do the right thing and, and pointing them in the right thing to do. Um, you know, those that's shaping the future and really appreciate that and, and making it all available for, for farmers and ranchers that want to do 
the right thing. And I think it's in the DNA of farmers and ranchers to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. And yes, they are caught up in a uh, system that has de-risked it or made it too risky to venture outside of that system. But there's also a lot of young folks that would love to come alongside them and uh, take that risk if given the opportunity. So anyway, appreciate it. Thank you so much. I hope you have a wonderful uh, holiday season and um, looking forward to uh, your continued impact on agriculture. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed the conversation. (laughs) All right. Take care. All right. Thanks for listening today. It's exciting to see how Donaga and her family have carved out such a beautiful life. Donaga's deep observation experience enables her to monitor grassland health, biodiversity, and to manage land based on the principles and patterns found in nature. And as always, if you'd like to learn more about what we're doing to help growers observe and implement soil health practices, check out our website at asn.farm. And there you can click on links to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube. There's a lot of great things happening and always something to learn. Thanks for listening.